We will be here in this um, room most for most of our studies. We will not be meeting next week because that is the abortion uh, seminar, the abortion conference. Mm-hmm. So we won't be here. We'll be back on the 22nd. Um, we will not have this room on October 13th. If you want to write that down, we're going to have to find another place, my house or two lives somewhere. I don't know. Um, and then November 10th. And then our last class here will be on the 17th of November before our break begins. So we have about nine or ten classes. Um, and what we're going to do, what I'm hoping to do, and just my goal behind this study is just to equip us with very relevant topics that um, are are very um, they're really permeating the church. And I know a lot of Christians have questions about certain things that are going on. So what I want to do is talk about three main topics. And the first one is progressive Christianity. That's what we're going to be looking at for the next three or four weeks. I'm going to try to zip through, but just kind of lay the foundation and the groundwork. You know, what is progressive Christianity? It's kind of stealthy how it sneaks in to what we believe is more conservative Christians. And in the end, it's very destructive. So even behind things like critical race theory that's in the church or LGBTQ movement that's in the church, deconstruction of my Christian faith. You're hearing a lot of people about deconstructing their faith and kind of walking away from the faith. Behind that is kind of the progressive Christianity, that mindset that kind of um, takes away the authority of scripture, sometimes very subtle ways, other times very uh, direct ways. I just want you guys to be aware of that as you're talking to friends, maybe family members, or even if yourself, you're tempted. We're listening all the time to, to different teachers and preachers on the internet and so forth, just so there's discernment and understanding, because this is very, uh, it's very insidious in many ways. So that's we're going to spend our first few weeks on progressive Christianity. Then we'll spend three or four weeks on um, God, government, and you. <laughs> just the 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 idea of government's place in God's creation and in our lives and as Christians what is our role uh, what is our loyalty to the government you know are we to obey in all, every circumstance or the time we can disobey should we be politically active as Christians those kinds of things because those are very hot topics and that should be very timely because we'll be getting into the by that time the um, the elections will be will be around so we'll kind of coincide with that and then finally, maybe one or two weeks, depending on just just the the whole abortion idea, especially since Roe v. Wade, it's become a hot topic even among Christians. And so we'll have to talk about that and uh, basically how we can answer some of the objections that come from the outside, but also from the inside. And this is what this class is about, inside Christianity. We know that outside are already enemies and we have to deal with that. But what's so kind of destructive and discouraging and disheartening is that like this kind of stuff happens from the inside. So you have Christians divided, you know, should we vote? You know, or should, I know some churches say if you're progressive or Democrat, you shouldn't even be in the church. You should be excommunicated. That's the, that's the span on that. Again, and all this kind of ties back to progressive Christianity, like the thought. That's why I wanted to start with this, because that's the kind of the... Um, underlying theme or that that strand that runs through all these kinds of things is how you view the Bible and then how that's worked out. So I'm going to pray and then we'll just have our introduction for tonight. That's all we're going to do. It shouldn't take too, too long this evening. And then we'll, because uh, I don't want to start our first lesson because we're not going to be meeting next week. And then we're going to try to do two or three lessons. Um, we'll be dealing with 10 different objections towards um conservative Christianity. And so we'll, we'll start that in a couple weeks. Tonight, just kind of introduction into progressive Christianity. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. We do thank you for this time, for everybody here, Lord. Just pray these studies are just practical, helpful, Lord God, to equip us, Lord, to help us to stand firm on the truth, even when we are tempted, Lord, to um, <clears throat> kind of give in to the world to soften, to, to compromise even just a little bit. 
We're living in a day and an age, Lord, where we must stand firm. There's no room for for compromise um, ever, but especially in these times, Lord. So I pray that you would give us wisdom, guidance, discernment, courage, Lord, to to stand strong, um, to count the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we do thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, guess good question to start this off just as an introduction is what is progressive Christianity um, and I, I've got this from the progressivechristianity.org and it's on your outline and it's just this it's one of the best uh, definitions is progressive Christianity is an open intelligent and collaborative approach to the Christian tradition and the life and teachings of Jesus that creates a pathway into an authentic and relevant religious experience. Wow, that's real fluffy. <laughs> it's not like the Westminster Confession of Faith, and like it has an exact idea. You know, this is Christianity. So, you know, there's some of those buzzwords like open, intelligent. Um, open means you're just, you know, you're not real strict, and you're not going to be just that real, you know, really knowing what you believe kind of person. But being open to different ideas, and this will come out in the study. You'll see the different objections we'll answer. Intelligent. Uh, I guess the implication is, you know, most conservative Christians, I guess, aren't really intelligent. Kind of I mean, actually, I think if, if most people that I know read that, they would say, that sounds pretty good. You mean I get to think? Yeah. I have to turn off my brain. Yeah, but you're going to see as we go through this, and, that, and that's I, and that, the reality is that's absolutely true. As Christians, we love to think. We're not going to turn off our brain. We'll, enter, we'll invite every kind of question there is from a biblical perspective. But you'll see as we go through the course of Christianity, they're going to think our answers to these questions. You believe in six-day creation? You really do? That that's 24-hour? Okay. You believe that the earth is kind of young? So, yeah. You still believe that you know, Jesus died on the cross for sins and an atoning death? And it wasn't... so. That the progressive side, and that's what's so tricky about this because they use the same terminology and it sounds so good, but when they talk about intelligent, that means you have to kind of put away those silly things that you believe, you know, about Noah's flood and so forth. Come on, you know, that's the idea, and that's that's kind of there's kind of, there, there's an, an intellectual approach and say, you guys are just. Yeah. You still believe in those miracles, don't you? Without the definition, just the word progressive tells you where they're going. Uh, yeah, and then and then a collaborative approach, and that's you know we kind of add, you add, and then what I now add to it, kind of maybe takes away from the authority of God's word. We're going to do to talk about this together, the Christian tradition. You know, like there's many different traditions. Again, these are murky kind of words uh, that they use, even even in this, um, and they they focus on the teachings of Jesus that creates a pathway into an authentic and relevant religious experience. Um, so that's, you know, there's really nothing, there's a lot there that, that we could talk about in terms of, um, you know, authentic, relevant religious experience. That's kind of what's that mean for you instead of, we would say more something like, you know, being sanctified in the Lord and it looks like this, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. That's the thing with this. It's very, very subtle and very inviting and like tempting, but then it kind of like once you go through that door, the the jaw snaps shut on you. So that's what we want to be be aware of. So they um, didn't get this out of the Bible either. It's not really. It's no verse they can. Yeah, I don't know exactly who the the person is. This is just was on progressivechristianity.org, but these are these are. These are the ones we'll, we'll talk about them, the hardcore progressives. They don't really try to hide or mask the idea that they're progressive. So if you're not, if you're a conservative Bible believer, it's pretty antithetical towards that. This is, this is what Christianity should look like. And again, as we go through the objections, you'll see that. Um, postmodern version of Christianity, that's what this is. And when we talk about progressive Christianity... It's not as um, it's not as theological in some ways as classic liberalism. It's very connected with classical liberalism for sure. There's a lot of the same beliefs. They end up kind of rejecting the authority of Scripture, the full inspiration of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture altogether. But um, back in the day when there was the, the starting in the 
1920s especially, and even to the, even to this day, the the theological liberals they really believed in kind of naturalism, and so they wanted to have Jesus, but without the miracles, right? Without all that stuff that just kind of you know without having to worry about a definite atonement or, you know, this idea of predestination, those kinds of things, that, you know, Jesus' death on the cross was an atoning death, that he really did raise bodily from the on the third day. Um, the liberals back then were very conscious of those kinds of things, and so they tried to say, you know, Jesus is a wonderful teacher, we should follow his, his guidance, kind of the Sermon on the Mount type of life is what we're to lead, but let's Let's put away those things. And they were more theological about it. So with the miracles, you know, listen, the boy with the lunch, you know that story, the the, the feeding of the 5,000, you can't believe that a real miracle happened. Yeah. See, now we do, and that's why we're, you know, they'll pat us on the head. But we believe in that, because Scripture teaches it plainly. But the liberal interpretation of that is what happened there, for instance, was that um, the little boy that gave his loaves and fish, he gave his lunch up. Now that's an act of beautiful sacrifice. How wonderful that that boy gave his lunch up. So everybody else who had a lunch gave theirs as well. And that's what we should take from that. Not that Jesus actually performed a miracle where the loaves and fish, showing and proving that he's God in the flesh. No, let's just kind of keep it on that level. It's very true. This is, And so... Um, Again, progressives get to the same place, but they're not so concerned as much with doctrine, as much as simply kind of ignoring it, or they'll, they'll acknowledge it depending on the... It's kind of hard because there's such a spectrum. You know, there's, there really is a spectrum, like hardcore to people that just kind of are um, just entering into it very lightly and, and, and in certain areas. So, again, that'll come out more as we, as we study what progressive Christianity likes to do um, is, is focus on feelings. Um, a personal happiness, you know, the Christian life is for you to, meant to have joy and happiness and success. Uh, an emphasis on social justice a lot of the time. You know, we'll see that. We'll talk about that. Caring for the poor, caring for the oppressed. And all this mixes in with Christianity because we want justice, right? We Obviously, it's not like oh, we're against justice. We want injustice. You know, it's... We'll talk, again, as we get to one of the points, we'll talk more about what that means. Um, we care for the poor and the oppressed, but you're going to see there's a difference on how they interpret that and what it means to actually care for the poor and the oppressed. And if you don't do it this way, well, then you're not really quite doing it the way that you know, Jesus would have us do it. We'll, we'll have an, um, an example of that in just a moment. Um, care for the oppressed, environmental causes, you know, Christians don't really care about the environment, but we do, and so Christians with a heart for the environment, of course we care for the environment. We absolutely do. But we have a different perspective on it. You know, we believe this is what God said, and here's what we could use, and here's what we could do, and steward it wisely, and so on and so forth. Instead of saying, no, you can't use those fossil fuels. That's not Christ-like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, acceptance of diversity. Um Question Christian tradition, um, kind of keeping up with the culture all along. You know, so we're going to keep up with the culture. Come on, everybody knows that women should be pastors now. That's that's gone. Like it, you know, even in evangelical churches, you have husband and wife team pastors. Again, back in the day, um, you know, the 70s started really in the 70s into the 80s. It was like the PCUSA, um, Methodist churches. Um, um, what's the Church of England? Episcopal churches. <laughs> okay, so they're ordaining women to to the to the pastor and so forth. Where we have that view that says, you know, there's different rules for women and men even within the church. But the progressives, liberals say, you know, we, everybody knows these days. You know, that's old time thinking. That was just cultural back then, and you know. If you have the gift, you should use the gift. Why can't you do that? So all these are kind of what uh, define um, markers of progressive 
Christianity in that way. Um, really cares what culture thinks. Really wants culture to accept us as Christians. The world is watching when you hear that. And that's, again, we should understand that. We should say, yeah, the world is watching. So we need to be faithful, and that might cost us, and we need to be gracious in how we approach things, but we need to be firm on Scripture. Um, the Bible says we're going to be rejected by the world. You know, we're going to, If we're following Christ, oftentimes, depending on the, what's happening in the culture, how far away they are from the Lord, the more you follow him, the more you can expect to be kind of persecuted for that. So we're not trying to make enemies with the world. We're just trying to be faithful to Christ, and in doing so, you can make enemies with the world. <laughs> How come we along? Progressives want to kind of please the world, you know. The, the world is watching, so we need to tone it down a little bit, you know. Watch the watch how um, our, our how firm we are in certain things, and you know we should be able to let certain things go. Or you know, again, you're going to see this as we go through when we talk about the the points of progressive Christianity. Uh, yeah, progressive Christianity. Again, degrees of Christ, uh, progressiveness. I don't know. It just it runs the gamut. You have hardcore to very kind of stealthy, and uh, you have churches that are out there, progressive slash liberal churches, but it's also finding its way into many evangelical churches, and, and names that you'll know, names that you'll recognize, and, and they're, on, they're on your sheet. We need to be careful with, as, as we're listening, you know, careful to what we're taking into our hearts and into our lives. Um, some don't even claim to be Christian. They claim to be evangelical, like Jim Wallace. He's a hardcore one. Um, others, names that might ring a bell, um, Russell Moore, Southern Baptist, Beth Moore now. Um, um, they might not call themselves progressive, but what they advocate ends up in the same place of, of what it means to be a progressive Christian. So even on your outline, um, under D, Progressive Christianity is sympathetic to or fully affirms. And there's that spectrum. Um, LGBTQ plus relationships. So they talk about how many of you heard of side A and side B Christianity when it comes to homosexual relations in the church. It's part of keeping up with the culture. It's part of, you know, we Christians can't be so dogmatic and hard on this. We need to rethink what the Bible teaches in that regard. So what you have is within evangelicalism, and there's a young man named Matthew Vines, especially. He's smart. He calls himself a reformed reform Christian, or he did anyway. I don't know if he does these days. It's been a while since I really looked him up. But um, he'll say that God honors the same-sex marriage um, because he made them that way, and they could still love God and be in that relationship so long as it's monogamous. So if they're with each other and they love each other and they have a monogamous, they can't be outside, they can't be open or anything like that. They need to be in that kind of relationship and and, and they're still Christians and still loved by God and Christ. And there's a whole theology behind that. We won't get into that. That's side A, Christianity. Now side B is a little bit different. Side B will say, and here's the real subtlety when, it, when you talk about progressive Christianity. It'll say, okay, acknowledge that, yes, I was homosexual, I'm gay, and I understand that it's wrong to have relations with another person. But I am. I'm a gay Christian. Okay? And that sounds better. You know, so you might have a companion. We're committed to relationships, perhaps, as companions. But nothing beyond, no, nothing physical in that way. Understanding that that's not God's will for our lives, but it is. It's, it's you know, it's acknowledging and saying, yes, I'm gay and I'm a Christian, and I'm okay with that so long as I don't practice. Now that sounds pretty good. That's you can say, oh, you know, so that's the progressive. Where biblical Christianity, when you're converted, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not a gay Christian. I'm not this kind of Christian. That I'm a Christian, and I see that sin for what it was, and I might fight it, and I might struggle with it. So I'm a Christian who may struggle with it, but I'm a Christian who struggles with it, and I'm not going to settle for saying I'm gay and Christian and still kind of have those, like kind of in that light. My identity is in Christ. Do you see the subtlety there? That's a big deal, but that's 
you know, because we might be tempted to say, you know, and, I, and I've been on the fence with that a couple times and say, you know what, maybe, if, you know, you acknowledge that, but you're not going to practice. But, but when you come down to it and say, we are Christians that may struggle with sin, but the, our identity is not there. So this is how it, it, it comes in. Um, often they believe in universalism. Do you know what that is? Universalism. What's that mean? Does anybody know? When you die... Eventually, wouldn't you love that? <laughs> we have the universalist, and I'm on Lebanon, right on um, what you call. You'll see the all the pride flags, everything like that, and many more churches are are coming to that place where they're saying, you know, I can't imagine that a good God would send anybody to hell. You know, everybody's redeemable. They might have to go to a place of purification first. They might not get into heaven, but eventually. Every soul gets into heaven because a wonderful, gracious, loving God can't send anybody to hell. So from our perspective, we're saying, you're, you're not thinking about God's justice, and he's a righteous and holy God. But um, but again, so we're always on the defensive because we're the Because <laughs> But here's what the Bible actually teaches about God's nature. But it sounds so nice that, hey, eventually everybody will get into heaven. That's easy to, to agree with and you know, to, to go along with. Um, Social justice, again, we'll talk about that. White privilege, systematic racism, white supremacy, all those kinds of things. We've, we've talked about that in the past. That's characteristic of that. And then uh, perennialism. That's the idea that, again, there tries to be fairness, and it does sound good on the surface. Like, insofar as everybody practices their own religion, wherever it may be, if they practice it faithfully and where it touches with Christianity, because every religion has um, Christian kind of ethics to it, like even Muslims do works for the poor and they, they pray and they're sincere in what they do. And, you know, Buddhists have certain things that kind of connect with Christianity. So insofar as you're faithful in that area, God takes that into account and very well, very well may give you a place in heaven. So it's not like, hey, we have to be converted to Jesus Christ and he alone saves. There's no other name under heaven and earth. Again, that makes us sound so harsh. There's no other way but Jesus. But that's not us saying it. That's what the Bible, the progressives come along and say, hey, you know, Tony, if you just do what you do and you practice that and you're faithful in that and those points where your faith touches Christianity, God takes that into consideration. That sounds really nice. But it's just not biblical. But... Your hat that's coming more and more prominent in the churches. Um, so, again, uh, they'll claim to be Christian and they'll use the name oftentimes, but they'll support in part in full. Again, like I mentioned, uh, LGBTQ. Um, another another area is kind of the pro-life. So a lot of progressives will say, "Hey, I'm pro-life. I am pro-life, but I'm more than pro-life. I'm whole life. Mark that down. Whole life. Um, that's a real." buzzword right now in, in progressive circles. And that just means, of course, we're concerned about uh, abortion and so forth. And we'll talk more about this when we get into the abortion, because it's important. But um, they'll also say, we're concerned about all of life. So we're concerned about the refugees. We're concerned about the, they don't call them illegal immigrants anymore. Right, um, I forget what you call them, people that are just coming into our country, but that's part of the whole life. So we're concerned about helping those people come in and not even necessarily assimilate, but have a, have a place in our, in our country. So that, that's conflicting for us because, yes, we want to help the refugees, of course. We want to help the poor and even the immigrants that come in. But then we as Christians say, but wait a minute, isn't there a legal way to come in to the country and help that and that, but they'll have good arguments to say but you know they're from impoverished nations and they're this and they're that but there's still a sovereignty of our nation and there's a right way to do it but if you disagree it's like you're cold-hearted you don't want to help other people you don't want to help the, these poor families that are just coming in to look for a better life but when you dig a little deeper you know that that's not necessarily the case at all so anyway, we'll talk more about that. But you see what I'm trying to say to you? And I was like, you guys don't care because you're not letting everybody in. And, and, and we're whole life, and so we're concerned about that. We're, again, concerned about the environment, what you eat, what you do, and so forth. We want to see life extended. Um, 
until you're older and become a burden on the system, and then we'll talk about euthanasia at that time. So you know what I mean? It's that's the the it's kind of that way. Um, also, in progressive, very left leaning in the politics. We'll talk more about this when we talk about the politics. We'll, we'll get into that for sure. But um, again, in, in the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest um, Protestant conservative denomination in the United States. It has really been infiltrated by progressives. Big, big time. There's a real struggle going on. Um, even at the seminaries, they have six seminaries, five or six seminaries. Um, there's, It's a real battle, and the progressives are really winning right now. A lot of the conservative churches have left. Thousands of, at least hundreds of churches have left the Southern Baptist Convention. It's just really interesting to see what's happening. Um, but but, you know, a couple of years ago, they started saying, look, it's okay, you know, and we'll say you vote your conscience. You, know, you vote your conscience. We'll tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. We're going to say, look, here's what this person holds to. Here's what their policies are. Here's what they're doing. Do your research and vote accordingly. Um, but it's... It's kind of changing around. I don't want to get too much into that tonight because it's a hot topic, a very hot topic. I don't want to avoid it, but I want to save it before we get to the politics. Um, but it's at the place now where it just it's really difficult because you have people coming in and saying, "Look, you could vote for this candidate even if they're not pro-life, even if they're, you know, if, if they let immigration go." On moral issues where we have a strong conviction, they're saying that's okay. To, to vote for that because this side over here is just so terrible in different ways. We'll talk more about that. But that's kind of the idea. Um, again, just those kinds of issues. You have more of the progressives going in and coming after the conservatives and saying, you're not really Christian or you don't really have the love of Christ. You're not really loving your neighbor if you don't do this. You don't love your neighbor if you don't wear the mask, get the vax, let this happen, let that go. That's a big deal. Now, if you want to get the mask, that's fine. If you want to get the vax, that's fine. But the progressives kind of come in and say, you must do this. Um, they're making some deep inroads. I mentioned the SPC also in the PCA. That's the Presbyterian Church in America. By the way, the Presbyterian Church in America broke off from the PCUSA in the 70s, early 70s, because the PCUSA had gone so liberal that these were the conservatives out of that and said, you know what, we're going to start this uh, denomination because... We're conservative, so you have like R.C. Sproul, John Gerstner, um, the Re Reformed Presbyterians. The Reformed Presbyterians, yes, they left the, the liberal church and said we're going to stay conservative and, and reformed in that way. Um, I have to say something funny here. Sure. There's a Dr. Burka on Salem News. He has T-shirts with LGBTQ, and it stands for Let's Get Biden to Biden to Quit. like <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> We'll say that with the politics one too, but well, because those sides, you know, this it becomes very hot, and we don't want to. Again, for me as your pastor, I feel like we are Christians. You know what we believe. You have your strong beliefs. You have your convictions. I would also say you pray thought thoughtfully and carefully about these things, and you take it to heart as a Christian what we believe, because one is said it's you know. People say, well, you're voting for the lesser of two evils. We want to say, we want to vote for the, the one who lessens evil. Because they're all messed up in different ways, whoever is in there. Um, but which one lessens evil and is more in accord with what we believe as, Christ, as, as scriptures in terms of morality, those kinds of things. I'm getting into the political one. I don't want to tonight. But I don't want to just sit here and say, oh, you must be this, you must be Look, you're big boys and girls. You do. You know, you know your conscience. And you, you may, you could choose to vote. Yeah, there's no one more hospitable than Christians. They started most of the hospitals. Of course, there's no one more hospitable. The real thing is, the real thing is, there's nobody more hospitable than Christians. There's nobody more gracious than true Christians. Don't get me wrong. Progressives aren't going to be. They, there, there could be Christians that could be very hypocritical, very harsh, and they have been, and very mean. But most of the times, if something happens and when something happens, it's the Christians that show up. When AIDS epidemic was going on back in the 80s, it was the Christians that were going in. Even their own, their own homosexual community would leave them 
and I, who was this? I forget who. It was Francis Schaeffer or Wilkinson. I forget who it was. Was I was reading this? And said they had hotels like in Manhattan, just like in the slums. And if you were dying of AIDS and you were in the homosexual community, a lot of times they would leave you there because they didn't know what to do. Doctors and they weren't going to, you know, at that time. If you remember, if you're old enough to remember AIDS, it was scary in that community, especially. But it was the Christians who went in and ministered, who went in and prayed. When there was um, other plagues, I was reading, it was they wanted uh, John Calvin. There was a plague in Geneva, and they wanted Calvin to leave. And Calvin said, no, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to pray, and if the Lord's going to take me, he's going to take me. Martin Luther was the same kind of thing. You had these nuns with the black plague. They were nuns, and they knew they were going to die. They knew they were going to die, but they chose to stay. And the hospitals, and, they, and, and the leprosy, they worked with. The they were so oftentimes it is that underneath that the true Christians really have that real compassion. So if something, you know, the ones that hate us, like the communities that, that do not like the Christians, I'll say the LGBT community think we're hostile and hate them. That's not true. If something were to happen, for instance, just as an example, and there was say the, the Muslims came in who really do and really have that death penalty. If you are gay, they will. There are, you know, many at the, at the top of their um, theology, at the, at the top level, they punish that, and they punish that by death. See, so we would, the Christians would be the ones who would say, you know, we are going to protect you. You come and you stay with us. Just like Corey Ten Boom with the, with the Jews. You know, we're going to... You're, you're, our enemies are you're going to be our friend we love you we need Christ but we love you see but the progressives others don't get that. so uh, let's move on um, oh, we're good shape. we have 20 minutes um, it's not concerned with core Christian beliefs but uses Christian terminology kind of redefines either subtly or overtly doctrines um, or at least under states, state, states doctrine, which, again, we'll talk about and we'll see the difference. Because what we're going to do, we're going to look at the ten points, ten commandments, I guess, of progressive Christianity, and then look at a biblical perspective, like encountering those, countering those from Scripture. So we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture to kind of say, okay, here's, here's what the little kernel of truth is about progressive Christianity, because there's truth there. And sometimes we need to be convicted by that truth and say, may they got a point there, perhaps. But then there's, it's really surrounded by a lot that's very antagonistic towards true Christianity. So we'll look at scriptures to deal with that. So that's what I want us to do in that way. But always with love and care. And, you know, I'm just concerned that I don't want us to be swayed to that side because it takes us away from what scriptures actually teach. Um, and it paints us like as a caricature. Like that's the Christian, you know, mean-spirited, hypocritical. There's always some truth in that too. But the actual Christians who love Christ, who love others, that's not who we are called to be. So uh, we'll look at that. So it is dangerous because it, it, it's, it's not authentic Christianity. That's progressive. It's not authentic Christianity. It's a form of, it's another kind of Christian. It's another religion ultimately. But it makes you feel good about yourself. Uh, because you're doing something to make a, the world a better place in the name of Jesus. Um, at the same time, there's not much emphasis on personal holiness. Um, God, and we're going to see this, um, God's not too concerned about how you live as long as you're authentic and a good person. That's a, that's a real fundamental uh, belief and idea. So you'll have a lot of progressive Christians who might say, um, I love Jesus, but it is okay to be, you know, living with my partner, my friend, and being together in ways that we shouldn't be unless you're married in that way. But you know, God, has, you know, but God is cool, and I love, He gets me, and this is what you know, Jesus is okay with that. Okay. Um, so as long as long as you're good and, and, and helping others, um, doing not doctrine—that's what's most important. And um, we're going to find out why that's that's not that's pretty dangerous because right actions flow out of sound doctrine, like right teaching. You know what I mean? Garbage in, garbage out. The good things in, the good things going to come out. So it's really important to be grounded in Scripture and and going forth from there. Even though at times it might seem harsher to conflict with the world. So. Um, 
that's kind of our just short introduction into it. Um, about the study itself, real quick, it is based, my study is based on uh, Dr. Michael Kruger's book, and it's called The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. Uh, Michael Kruger, Kruger is a professor of New Testament and uh, New Testament history at um, Reformed Theological Seminary in South Carolina. He's, a, he's an amazing Christian man. He's, he's uh, kind, but solid as can be. So Michael Kruger's book. So um, this isn't new with me. I'm bringing this from him, basically. And what Michael Kruger does in his book called The, the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity is critiquing and correction, you know, seeking to correct a book by a progressive man named Philip Gully, G-U-L-L-E-Y, Philip Gully. And that book is entitled, If the Church Were Christian, Rediscovering the Values of Jesus. So in his book, Gully has these 10 points of saying, you know, if the church was Christian, here's what you would do. And so what Kruger does is go back and says, okay, here's what Gully says. Let's see how that lines up with scripture. And that's kind of what we're going to look at for the next three or four weeks as we talk about progressive Christianity. Um, one of the reviews for Gully's books, just so you understand how strong this this movement is in many ways, is says this, Gully's vision of Christianity, his vision of Christianity is grounded, gripping, and filled with uncommon sense. He's building bridges instead of boundaries, and such wisdom is surely needed now. That's by Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr, I think he's still with us. Maybe he just died. It's a hardcore he would be a hardcore uh, progressive Christian for sure, um, but 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 there it is again. It's his his vision of Christianity, not necessarily a biblical vision. It's gripping, filled with uncommon sense, building bridges instead of boundaries. So the implication is, you know, we put up the walls while the progressives kind of build the bridge to the world and so forth. Um, and a lot of that's by accepting and affirming and embracing the world, as as you'll see. Um, and then another review says this book literally exudes grace and compassion. Uh, again, he gives ten principles that every Christian should practice, should focus on in order to make a real impact in the world. Again, that real impact in the world is kind of making the world a better place through love, care. I don't know. I, I think the bottom line is so many of the progressives have the idea that man is essentially good. And that's when you have that starting point, that foundation, that there's like the goodness of man um, as opposed to the biblical perspective that we are sinners and we're not we need redeemed again, when we do good things, you heard my sermon this past Sunday, that reflects God's goodness, image bearers and so on um, but I think the underlying premise is, is kind of that, you know, the the goodness of man. He just needs the right opportunity, the right environment to flourish, acceptance, and you'll see amazing things. And so we just kind of let him go, where scripture says, no, if you let man go to his own devices, you kind of end up where we are today, even in culture, society, that kind of thing. So it's kind of this battles of those worldviews. Um, like every good... Let's see. They... Godly's points do contain a kernel of truth that we need to take seriously at times. So it's not just saying, oh, we're just here going to correct you, Godly. There are times that when Godly brings things up, he's right about Christians, you know, generally speaking, that we can miss certain things, that we have missed certain things, that we didn't speak out when we should have, when we could have. You know, so when you think about slavery, the Christians at the time, they should have done more. They should have spoken out more and louder before they did. The church should have had more to say in those times. Um, you could Different points throughout our history. In the 80s with the moral majority, there should have been more compassion to those who were, um, you know, the, the, the idea was with the moral majority, it's like you need to be moral and righteous just like me, and if you're not, then you're a sinner and you don't deserve us until you change. Kind of like the Pharisees that stood outside the door. Said, you know, until you change, then you can come with us, or we'll come in, but, you know, we're not going to come in with you. So that was, you know, Gully makes some of those points. We need to be seriously circumspect about our attitude and, and our um, 
our approach with great humility, and we can learn things too. And you know, there's some conviction there. Um, but ultimately, he, what Gully does is really undermine the faith, and we don't want to go there. You know, we might have to say, you know, we missed it here. We need to repent there. We could do better here. But what Gully's doing, he's trying to just undercut the faith and saying, you know, you just need a whole new your, your whole way of thinking if you're kind of conservative Christian and that way you really believe all this, that needs to go and that needs to be replaced. And that's what we have to say no. Um, we're going to look for look out for certain things. Um, progressive Christians really like to try and force you to choose between, like either or, their perspective. Um, again, there might be some truth. There, there's, there, there might, but, but they'll downplay the biblical perspective more or so. Like if you really love somebody, then you'll just accept them. Why can't you just accept them for where they're at and who they are? Just love them where they're at and, and, and make sure that you're affirming them. They already feel bad enough. They're already going through struggles. There's some truth in that. But then the other side of that is we can't leave them. Though. We can't just say that if you're living in sin, that it is okay to do that. We, we, we have to... Um, it's not an either or. We can be compassionate and firm. You could be tender and tough. <laughs> you know, you could be loving and harsh, <laughs> if you want to be put it that way. But that's what we, you know, that's what our faith calls us to be. We're representing Christ and the truth in that way. Um, so yeah. So so your real compassion accepts, affirms, approves. Um, you're, we don't try to change, or you're, we don't judge in that way. We're not judgmental like you. We're not trying to, you know change people from who they are. We're loving them for who they are. And again, that's a little bit of truth in that, but there's a lot that um, leaves out the actual truth of Scripture and who we're called to be as Christians. Um, Kruger explains that the ten principles he looks at... Um, I'm sorry. Kruger examines ten principles. He looks at the positive, then critiques from b- biblical perspectives. Um, so what we want to do in our study is, is that delineation... We want to examine the claims, and then we want to get to the motivation behind the claims and discern the effects. And that's a big deal for us, um, because we want to get to the truth. Um, We want to defend the biblical position, that corrective from Scripture. Okay, here's what you're saying. There might be a kernel of truth here, but here's what needs to be corrected from Scripture. And we need to be bold with that, because it is God's truth that that we're bringing forth and um, seeking to, to provide that clarity from, from the Word of God. We want to spot and challenge that false teaching because a lot of within progressive Christianity, they say, well, I'm Christian. Now, if you have a person that's not a Christian, you have to be really easy on them because they're not a Christian. And they, I had a conversation with my um, hair cutter, I just got my haircut yesterday, and and it's just very interesting. It was very interesting, and, and she was saying some things, and I and I could have come back hard, but I didn't because I know where she's at, you know. And we were just talking about um, accepting. I forget how we got on the it was transgender type of thing, and said, why just don't why can't you just accept that? I said, no, we respect and we love and we care for, but because of God's standard, we have to draw that line and say, you know. This is, this is where we can't go. I just say, why not? You know, that's who they are. Right? They just want to be left alone. They want to be, you know, just live their lives. They don't want people um, coming and t- judging them and telling them how wrong they are. None of them think about what's going to happen to their soul. This is temporary. That's permanent. And I was getting to that, and I said that. I said that to effect. I said, but we're all sinners. I said, I try not to concentrate on that specific issue per se. If you want to talk about it, we will. But I always talk to people about our, our, all of our problem, and that is sin. And, and we're all messed up in that way. She goes, but I don't think we're really messed up. You're calling them messed up. So meanwhile, she's like washing my hair, and like, so we couldn't really talk. So let's get coffee sometime, and we'll talk about it. But you want to go easy because they're not, they're, they're not believing. They're not, they don't claim to be Christian. They're saying this is a worldly perspective. So you have a lot more grace with that. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you say you're a Christian, and you're still denying or altering or changing the actual word of God that we stand on, well, then I'm going to challenge you a little bit more because we are Christians and we should be harder on each other if we call ourselves Christians. Um, what does that actually mean? Like, what's it mean to be a Christian? And what do we believe as Christians? 
Do we actually believe what Jesus said, or do we just kind of believe what Jesus said? Do we pick and choose, or do we are we full orbed? And and I want to challenge you as if you say you're a Christian, then I'm going to be a little harder because you're saying that you know that you understand that you love Jesus and that you're a follower of Christ. Well, then let's go for it. And you can be hard on me too, and that's fine because you know our ultimate authority needs to be Scripture. But if you say our ultimate authority is not Scripture, then it's arbitrary. Then it becomes what you want it to be. So as Christians, we should have this as our final authority. So um, you know, we want to be a little tougher if you if you say you're a Christian as opposed to somebody who doesn't say they're a Christian. You want to be easier and really concentrate on the gospel, I guess. Um, I have a good quote from Spurgeon, and this is kind of what I want you guys to keep in mind. It's on the second page of your uh, outline. And it is about discernment. And this is what this class really is trying to teach you is discernment. We need to discern. Is it in line with Scripture? Is it mostly in line with Scripture, but a little bit off? Is it way off? When it's way off, that's easy. But this is what discernment is. I think this is a really good definition. Discernment is not a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. We could do that. Rather, it's telling the difference between right and almost right. <laughs> and that's what gets hard. And I think that's kind of where we find ourselves because there's some truth here. And that's, but that's where discernment comes in. And you want to keep that faith. I'm telling you, man, it just doesn't matter. There's always a leftward leaning. It's always going to the left. The world is like a racetrack. And even in the church, so many churches end up one way or another kind of compromising the faith, not believing whether it goes liberal, whether it just goes full-on health and wealth type of thing. They're not believing the scripture, and they always kind of end up uh, away from the essential teachings of scripture. And it's always a battle to stay, you know, faithful. It's so easy just to kind of give in and to say, you know what, I guess that's okay. You know, it's all right. But we have to be tough and say, tough and tender. Um, but this is the word of God. Um, and stand on it. So I think that that's what, what we're faced with. Um, always listen, but then look for the fruit. You know, and where does that fruit lead? Um, I, I do have some names, and I, I don't want to be a big shot on naming them. None of us are perfect. I don't, but I do think there's part of that warning out there. Again, people are listening all the time on the internet, all over the place, and there's different teachers. They have a forum. And, and there's just names to watch out for when it comes to progressive Christianity. Because, again, they'll use terminology. They'll say things that are just, like, nebulous or they sound Christian. That sounds pretty good, but maybe not quite right, you know. Uh, there's something good there. But what do they really mean by that? Um, so hardcore, I guess, would be Jim Wallace, Richard Rohr, Marcus Borg, Peter Enns, Rachel Held Evans, Rob Bell. Uh, he's, a, he's a younger one. Dom, John Dominic Crossan, Nadia Boltz-Weber. Kristen Cobes Demez, she just has that John Wayne and Jesus. That's her book that's out, very popular. Uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber is a popular writer. Brian McLaren, Brian Zahn, N.T. Wright. Um, these are kind of unabashed. Like it's, they're not in the closet kind of. They're just out there. Uh, we are progressive and we're, we want to change. This is what authentic Christianity looks like. You guys are living in the past. You're not you know, quite with it. Uh, I would say extreme caution, and these names might be more familiar to you. And these are people that I've learned from, many of them. Um, I really have admired even in the past. And again, I'm not disparaging their entire ministry, I'm not trying to do that. But I'm trying to say, you know, caution on these th- on some of these things. So Tim Keller, um, he's there. Uh, Matt Chandler, especially when it comes to like critical race theory. Um, there's a lot and if you want me to I can give you uh, I could send you documented or YouTube videos that show very plainly this Um, like with Matt Chandler even with this kind of the CRT it's if there's a a black person who's a 7 on the scale and a white person who's an 8 I'm going to pick the black person just because he's black instead of saying you know we're going to pick the most qualified Uh, again I might sound compassionate he's he's very bold in his proclamations regarding the white um, white privilege type thing. Um, he'll talk about how privileged he was and those kinds of things. Uh, David Platt, Jen Wilkin, 
uh, Jen Hatmaker, Russell Moore, Beth Moore, David French, he's a writer for, I forget, um, Julie Roy's The Roy's Report, Karen Swallow Pryor, uh, a couple names on there, Mike Horton, J.D. Greer. These names not, might not mean anything to you. <laughs> they might mean something to you, but I would say with these, kind of use caution. Um, really be discerning on, on what you're taking in from them. So what I want to do just by just closing out tonight in the last few minutes is just look at scriptures to know in this regard. And we're not going to do heavy exegesis or like study of the scriptures. And these aren't all by any means, but I just want to turn to these seven passages and read them because they warn us and they show us um, that we need to be on guard. And and sometimes it's really tough because we have even loved ones and close friends that might be, you know, kind of going in this direction. I know we've known people in our past who have who have gone you know, one time more conservative and so forth, but now they're right here. I had a, just a good friend of mine I went to seminary with. He's one of the best preachers I've ever heard. He, just the full package. He is gone from Christianity. Pretty much has renounced it. He's living uh, his own life in a different, different way. It's really sad. Um, it's hard to see. But anyway... Um, Scriptures to know, Romans chapter 16, let's just start there. We'll just we'll just turn pages here. So Romans 16, Paul's coming to the end of his of his letter, and um, <clears throat> he says this, verses 17 and 18. These are final instructions that he has for the church there before he takes off. He says, I appeal to you. That's a very strong word when he says, I appeal to you. Watch out, again, very strong language. Watch out for those who come, who cause division and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They are, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive hearts of the naive. Um, Again, so there's a, a real strong, strong warning. Look out for those that kind of cause division, who caught not kind of who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. That's so important. Contrary to the doctrine that's in Scripture, Paul was teaching Scripture, and they're coming along and turning it, twisting it, changing it. Progressive Christianity really does that. Second uh, Timothy four. Second Timothy, uh, chapter four, verses one through four. I have um, two through four, but Paul's charging Timothy, and he says this to him. So um, he says, "I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appear and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching." For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Again, that principle is there. It's, you know, that people want to hear what they want to hear. And if you could put God behind it or if God gives a stamp of approval to your sinful behavior, that sounds good. If we could make, make a way to do that, that kind of, Encourages and emboldens in that way. Second uh, Peter, Second Peter, chapter two, Second Peter two, uh, one to one to three says this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Again, there's a real subtleness, especially to progressive Christianity. It's not that they're just leaving the church and taking people with them. They're coming into the church. And that's what's so so stealthy. It's, you know, because there's such an allure and there's a way to think about some of the teachings. And again, there's always a bit of truth in these teachings. Um... But 
but it's really surrounded by motives that are not so honorable or godly. So it says, um, <clears throat> just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way the truth will be blasphemed. And so, again, you see this very plainly, like in liberal and all-out progressive churches. The truth of God is being blasphemed. If you if you drive through, through the city and look at some of the churches, and just like, you know, our, our Lutheran church, you know, it has a cross with the, with the rainbow, and it's just... Um, you know, all are welcome, all are accepted. We're all affirming. We're not going to say anything to the contrary. We're going to just affirm that. That's the way the truth is being blasphemed, man. That's a that's blasphemy. That's not God's way, is it? That's the devil's way. It is the devil's way. And they're greed. They'll exploit you um, with false wonders. And that shifts it a little bit to kind of uh, another area. This isn't progressive Christianity, but especially like the false signs and wonders, a lot of the charismatica that's going on. And today, God gave me a word. God told me this. Signs and wonders. You too can have it. Just give me your money. So this is blanketing these. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Um, First John. We're just going through First John, chapter four, verses one through three. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, it's kind of testing the spirits by the word of God. Not that we're haughty, not that we're, you know, oh, we're superior. It's like, okay, let's see what you're saying. Does it line up with the scripture? And if it doesn't, then we're going to have an issue. There's going to be a problem. You know, we can't say that we're Christian, but what you're teaching doesn't actually teach what the Bible teaches. That's why it says test the spirits. Don't just take it for granted. Well, this guy said he's so authoritative, he's so articulate. I like what he says. It appeals to me. It's it's good to hear that, that you really care in this way about these things. Um, and yet, they're not, that you have to see whether they're from God. Does it actually line up with Scripture? Um, many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you'll know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So like even when you think of liberal theology and some progressives, and we'll talk about this next time, is they'll put the emphasis on Jesus' life, on his earthly ministry, not so much on his divinity. You know, Yeah, he's the son of God, whatever that means, but we're more concerned about how Jesus cared for people, how he loved people, how he ministered to people. And so that kind of fits into this. They're kind of denying that. Um, full-on liberalism does deny that um, you know, such things as the, the atonement, the bodily resurrection of Christ, those kinds of things. They don't want Jesus with the blood. They don't want Jesus with the blood. That's a bloody... And there's a big deal. Progressives say, that's a bloody... You love the... that They really get on us and say, you know, that's a bloody religion... The, you're a big thing in progressive Christianity. We'll talk about this in one of our lessons. Is that um, God is a cosmic child abuser? He abused his son. He let his son. He killed his son, and let his blood shed. What kind of God does that? The cosmic child abuser. I know it sounds silly, but it's again people buy into it, and we're so vulnerable right now that it's easy to slip into. A couple more passages. Uh, go to Second John. Um, just turn the page. <laughs> Second John, in verse 7 through 11, I'll read this. <clears throat> he goes on and he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, and uh, but may win full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and and does not bring the teaching that this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in the wicked works. Again, it's like we're always taught to be like the sheep and genuine and nice and caring and listening. There's a time we have to say, wait a minute, no, this is a false brother. Like you're a wolf in the in the hen house. If you buy chickens. 
and, and, and a wolf comes in, you're not going to be nice to that wolf and say, okay, Mr. Wolf, I'll let you hang out with my chickens. You know, you're like, no, go, wolf. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to expose you. Or if he comes in sheep's clothing, whatever. A fox in the hen house. I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> Sorry. It's the fox in the hen house. <laughs> Wolf with the sheep. But you know what I mean. It's getting late. Um, one, um, Jude 1 4. Just turn the page again. Um, it says this. I'm just showing you. And these are just a sampling of the passages. Like, we're always to be on guard. And it's not just Paul, you know. It's. You know, it's it's um, it's throughout. Jesus also tells us to watch out for the wolves that come. Um, but you have John, Jude saying this. John four, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so, and I do want to read one more. Go back to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Well, this will be our last reading. Okay. Galatians, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 5 and beginning in verse 6. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Then he goes on to talk about walk, care, watch carefully on the walk. But um, I just wanted to put those passages out there. They're kind of foundational passages. We'll be coming back to some of those as we go through our lessons. But this is just kind of the idea. It calls for real, real discernment, real grace, um, a real testing of our faith, too, in Christ, because to stand up for some of these things is going to be hard. So just real, as, as we close tonight, um, we'll, we'll real quickly just considering the the, the questions, um, the objections we'll look at, or the commandments out there. So if you go, I guess it's page three on your outline. Jesus is a model for living more than an object of worship. That's Golly's first proposition. Um, bless you. Um, the second one, affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. And we'll see, we'll see about that. Uh, the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. Again, there's, you know, that, that language is, sounds good. Gracious behavior is more important than right belief. That's the fourth one that we'll be looking at. Um, inviting questions is more important than supplying answers. Oh, you're going to love that. Because everybody loves to be, hey, man, I'm just questioning. Hey, man, I'm just trying to figure this out. Nobody really has all the answers. And it's arrogant if you have answers. Like, hey, here's what the Bible actually says. You know, that's looked at as kind of, um, you know, too sure of yourself, too confident, too, too. Uh, but not having answers is kind of the cool thing. I don't know, man. We're trying to figure it out. Um, encouraging the personal search is more important than group unity. That's a real jab at the church itself. Um, meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. Again, that's uh, lessening the importance of the church. Uh, peacemaking is more important than power. And um, the last one we'll look at is we should care more about love and less about sex. And that's a that's how Gully ends. I think. Well, I'm sorry. There's one more. Life in this world is more important than the life to come. So those are Gully's kind of his Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. And the answers we'll be looking at, again, are really drawn from Michael Kruger, but we'll kind of expand on them a little bit. So I hope this is helpful. I really do want to make it that way. I don't want to make it as a kind of an easy thing because it's a really hard thing. 
I don't want to make it seem that you know, oh, we're just so right all the very time, and we're just superior. We're gonna. There are things that we can learn, but there's also the time where we're gonna have to say, you know what? If I really believe what the Bible actually teaches, then I'm gonna have to take this stand over here on this side. So I hope through this class we'll kind of discern that and do that in a loving, firm way. Help us grow in our faith. Help us answer questions that we might have from family, friends, loved ones, co-workers, people we talk to when it when it kind of comes to this. Because I'm telling you right now, if you are a you know real strong Bible believing Christian, you are absolutely in the minority. And there's you're even more and more within evangelical circles, we're being looked kind of almost segregated as being intolerant, harsh mean-spirited, um, you know, haters. haters, silly, those kinds of things. And, and, of course, we don't want to be like that. And truly, we're not like that, but that's going to be the perception. So we need to be standing tough. So hopefully this will help with that. So no class next week because we have our uh, seminar. Hope you guys are out there for that. We'll come back on the 22nd. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you once again. I thank you for this group. I just thank you for this study. And I pray, Lord, that it goes well, that we approach it with great humility, Lord God, uh, understanding where we need to be enlightened and and gain more deeper understanding of your word, Lord. And then standing on your word firmly, but always with that deep love, Lord God, um, because most importantly, whether it's outside of the church or within the church, the greatest need is the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for we are all lost sinners apart from you. Uh, we all deserve your judgment, Lord, but you bring grace. And so we always want to remember, Lord, how you saved us by grace. And it is that grace that saves all who believe. So help us have that spirit, sharpen our discernment, our boldness in our conversations, Lord God, um, and, and our willingness to engage as we ought to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.